0: morning you're about to enter the arena and join the battle to save america with your host sean parnell uh but welcome to battleground live uh we are progressing through the week with all the normal chaos happening not just on in the u.s house of representatives or on capitol hill but all around the world uh but as usual we have brock uh who is, of course, Wendy Bell Radio's producer extraordinaire and also taught me everything that I know about... Uh, doing live television shows and radio and things like that. He's in the chat, being his feisty self, and uh, what I like to call every day fomenting insurrection and rous- <laughs> rousing the crowd in the way that he does. So, thank you, Brock. And also, I think Maggie said that her husband was going hungry because she's here for uh, the show. Uh, Maggie, I did I did not ask that, ask for that, but but thank you for your dedication and your sacrifice. We're glad that you're here. Um, we love having you in the trend with us. Uh but so listen, still chaos on Capitol Hill. I mean the stuff with the speaker race. I I they Republicans just today, all this happened today um, that Republicans nominated Tom Emmer for speaker of the house. Now, Tom Emmer is a congressman from Minnesota, very moderate, uh, who is also the chair of the national, what they call the national Republican congressional committee, the NRCC, the NRCC is charged with finding and recruiting candidates and helping them fundraise and putting them in contact with other members, um, with other members, uh, can you hear it? Turn my mic on. Can you, can you, am I good to go? Am I, can people hear me? I think people can hear yeah, me. Yeah. Well, oh, you got to remember they're 90 seconds behind you. So oh, you're good gotcha. now. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Jeez. <laughs> thanks. Again, total noob here. But so you have Emmer, right? Who... Defeated Johnson today and became the Republican nominee for Speaker of the House 117 to 97. Okay, that was the vote breakdown. The first GOP Speaker nominee, Steve Scalise, received 113 votes. The second GOP Speaker nominee, Jim Jordan, who is by far the most conservative option that we had, received 124 votes. So, what does that tell you? As of right now, as of this moment, of all of the nominees, Uh, Jim Jordan was by far the most popular, not just in the House of Representatives and on Capitol Hill, uh, but he's who the people wanted, especially in the wake of McCarthy. Well, I'll tell you, folks, I mean, we have so much to get through in the show, so I don't want to spend a whole lot of time here because uh, the, the things just keep shifting in this speaker race. But it's pretty clear now that. No candidate is going to get to 217 votes in the in the House of Representatives. I, I if if Steve Scalise can, if Steve Scalise can't get there, Jim Jordan can't get there, uh, Tom Emmer can't get there. It's hard to see who can get there. Right. And I told people in the chat prior to the show, Byron Donald is running for speaker. He dropped out today because I don't think he got over 50 votes. Uh, they do these in-conference secret ballot votes to determine uh, who the majority vote getter is. And then every single time they do a, a vote, the person with the lowest amount of vote drops out. That's how they that's how they narrow the field. Um but just so you all are tracking, I think Byron Donalds is great. It, again, if I were sitting in the U.S. House of Representatives, I'd probably be a yes vote. But I would also just say, because I just want to make sure you have both sides of the story here, that Byron Donalds would be the most inexperienced Speaker of the House since the Civil War. And that's not wholly a bad thing. Sometimes it's good to get a fresh perspective, but Washington is. And look, if you've been there, even if you've taken a tour from the Capitol, you can feel that, I mean, I'm sure the hairs on the back of your neck stand up, that it is the seat of power for the entire world. I mean, you can sense it. You can feel it. This isn't just an imaginary thing. And people in Washington don't play games. You know, there are some folks there that are steely eyed killers. Say what you want about Nancy Pelosi, then Democrat Speaker of the House, uh, when the Democrats had the majority. But she was a steely-eyed killer that ruled over the Democrats in the U.S. House of Representatives with an iron fist. And she knows where all the bodies are buried. So uh, and I've told you many times before, I I think there is an argument to be made for the biggest, most conservative swamp killer that you can get as Speaker of the House, because you don't want somebody, and look, again, I've told you I'd vote for Byron Donalds, uh, but you don't want somebody who's so inexperienced that they don't understand all the procedural mechanisms with which to get the mission done, to get votes to the out of committee and onto the floor. Uh, there are some things, there are some of these procedural mechanisms that are 150 years old that can only be learned uh, through your time in Washington. And another thing that I want you to have in your kit bag as you're evaluating candidates. And it's sort of the same argument that I make when people talk about term limits. And and by the way, when I ran for the House and the Senate, I signed the term limit pledge. I believe in term limits. The flip side to that argument and what constitutional scholars would say about term limits, one, it's unconstitutional, but two, and the same argument can be made for an inexperienced speaker, right? The Speaker of the House is the third in line to be president of the United States should disaster happen, arguably the third most powerful person on Capitol Hill. And the staff that they have around them is also immensely powerful. That staff, oftentimes, people who liaise with the Speaker, K Street folks, special interests, lobbyists, they've been in Washington for the last 20, 25 years in some cases. These people have a hell of a lot of experience. And you don't want all of those people who surround the Speaker of the House to have a ton of experience while the Speaker of the House has very little because you don't want them trying to pull the wool over his eyes or anything like that. And again, there are some things, having been in leadership my entire life, especially in the Army, by the way, uh, there are some things that there's just no substitute for time, right? There are some things that you just learn as you go. And my fear And this this is something I talked with Byron about is that maybe he doesn't know or understand all of those things and would be particularly susceptible to being manipulated by K Street, special interests, lobbyists and the Democrats who people like Pelosi, I'm telling you, steely-eyed killers without flanking procedurally so these are just things that that parnell's platoon as you watch i want you all to have this in your kit bag so you can be smart tacticians out there on the battlefield um but yeah the speaker stuff is is crazy uh and oh one more prediction before i get to the next thing to do to talk about uh some founding sponsors and stuff here um my prediction uh i don't know for sure but if I were a betting man and this were Vegas and we're, you know, we are haven't said mouth breather in a while. So if you're playing the mouth breather drinking game, go ahead and drink. But if I were a betting man and I were in Vegas, I would say at this point, Kevin McCarthy throws his hat back in the ring. Now that might make some of you throw up in your mouth a little bit or spread out your drink. And that's not my intent. OK, but I just I've got this TV here set up here so I can watch breaking news like right over there as I'm doing the show so I can bring you everything that I see on that TV at the same time it's coming out. Um, But there was just a Democrat uh, on uh, from Washington, a Democrat member of Congress on Washington uh, on Neil Cavuto. And yeah, I don't really watch Fox anymore, but of the programs that I have, I don't really even have cable anymore, but I've got Fox News. So it's on um, as I watch this as I'm doing the show. Uh, my options are limited. Um, but. He was on Neil Cavuto's show saying that there's no way any Democrat could support Kevin McCarthy. They don't support governing from the far right. They don't support an insurrectionist like Kevin McCarthy, who who supported overturning the results of 2020 election. Of course, he didn't support overturning the results. He supported auditing and investigating and protesting the electors and all of that stuff, which, by the way, uh, is completely and totally constitutional. And he, this Democrat also said, we don't support a budget that cuts 30 percent across the the board for, you know, education and things like that. Well, all, all, most of us as as conservatives, we all know and believe that the Department of Education is a wholly unconstitu- unconstitutional. But so th- I'm just letting you know, like it or hate it, how Democrats feel about this guy, McCarthy. And look, again, I'm not a McCarthy apologist, but when I say that it's pretty clear that no candidate can get to 217, he's the only one that's done it. OK, so love him or hate him. I'm kind of ready for Republicans to gain you know, back control of the U.S. House of Representatives, which is the only major legislative body that we control. And part of my fear is, is that, you know, I don't really care if the government shuts down. I, I don't. Uh, but I am afraid of the pay of our veterans uh, and our warriors and our war fighters, as war rages in Ukraine and and war rages in Israel, and the likelihood of the deployment of American troops, which by the way I don't support, goes up and up and up. Even if they're training for deployment and they haven't even gone, the, they're talking about American troops like if they deploy to support even in an advisory capacity in Ukraine. And by the way. While we're giving predictions, I told you I predict McCarthy probably throw his hat back in the ring. Look, I don't know. I don't have any insider knowledge. But while we're doing predictions, I am very, very afraid Biden is just going to escalate things, whether it's in Ukraine or whether it's in Israel. I don't know what that looks like yet. Maybe it's with Iran. We'll get into this a little bit later in the show just so that there can be a distraction from his horrendous domestic agenda going into 2024 and that way he can call himself a wartime president and you heard in his address uh, a couple of weeks ago or maybe it was a week ago when he gave his national address to the uh, to to America uh, basically saying and planting the seeds of the fact that yes indeed he is a wartime tr- president remember he was talking about um riding on a blacked out train by himself without without his staff around like he's going to the front line and fighting the war himself uh but Meanwhile, he can barely string together a coherent sentence and small steps dominate the guy. Uh, but that's my fear. I'm afraid he's going to escalate things. And if that's the case, I don't want our war fighters not getting paid. It's something that worries me a lot. Um, But nevertheless, before I progress too far into the show, I want to thank Deepwell. Um, I know I'm doing these long opens, but things are just so crazy right now. Uh, But Deepwell is a founding sponsor of this program. They believed in Battleground Live before anybody else did. We wouldn't be here were it not for them. They're a great American drilling company with places all across the country. And really, I'm telling you, they're hiring and they're looking for good people. And they're an amazing patriot owned company that believes in American energy independence. And they refer to themselves as a family. So if you're looking for a job, you don't necessarily have to work out on a drilling site, right? You can work in an office, administrative position, marketing, social media, whatever, even community engagement. And if you're, if you're, you, you you have a desire to work on a drilling site or looking for a career change. It's probably not for me because I can't I can't do the tough work anymore as I get older. Six and a half years in the infantry and jumping out of airplanes kind of did a lot of damage to my body. So I don't think I can handle that stuff much anymore. Um, but you can make, you know, in five years there, if you follow Deepwell's educational track between, you know, start at $55,000 with a full benefits package and progress to 250 in five years. So it's a great place to work. So go to deepwellservices.com, reference me that you heard about them. That would help me a lot. Uh, but again, this show wouldn't be possible were it not for them. Uh, but so let's just jump right into a block. Uh, this is something that I really, really, really want to talk to you all about, um, the weaponization of our American justice system here at home continues to progress unabated. And not only are they targeting President Trump, obviously every day you see headlines about some new ridiculous charge that they've leveled against President Trump. I think he's facing something like 91 felony counts and 900 years in jail or something absurd like that. But they're also targeting his allies and not just his allies, but also his attorneys. And the fallout from this, I mean, of course it's wrong, right? But I think most people are talking about this, you know, they're either taking a position that how how could how could this person do such a horrible thing, or they're just talking about the weaponization of our justice system, which of course is a very bad thing. But there are fallout in other ways that I want to talk to you about after this that I don't think that people are quite anticipating yet. Um but I wanna roll this video of uh, former Trump campaign lawyer, lawyer, Jenna Ellis. Now, Jenna represented President Trump and with with Rudy Giuliani in the wake of the 2020 election. It's actually something that I wasn't a big fan of because after the 2020 election, I was running for Congress. And if you're gonna challenge elections, If you're a candidate, and I've talked to President Trump about this, and I've talked to his team about this, um, but you have to hire an election attorney, someone who actually understands the nuances of the law in these critical swing states where they're challenging, right? Jenna Ellis isn't an election attorney, but that's not neither here nor there. Um, She was out uh, and pleaded guilty today. in the Georgia election subversion case is what CNN calls it. Of course, it's not the subversion case, but uh, to one count of aiding and abetting false statements in writing. Go ahead and uh, let's listen to her guilty, uh, her guilty pleading today. Uh, Go ahead and roll the tape.
1: As an attorney who is also a Christian, I take my responsibilities as a lawyer very seriously, and I endeavor to be a person of sound moral and ethical character in all of my dealings. In the wake of the 2020 presidential election, I believed that challenging the results on behalf of President Trump should be pursued in a just and legal way. I endeavored to represent my client to the best of my ability. I relied on others, including lawyers with many more years of experience than I, to provide me with true and reliable information, especially since my role involved speaking to the media and to legislators in various states. What I did not do, but should have done, Your Honor, was to make sure that the facts the other lawyers alleged to be true were in fact true. In the frenetic pace of attempting to raise challenges to the election in several states, including Georgia, I failed to do my due diligence. I believe in and I value election integrity. If I knew then what I know now, I would have declined to represent Donald Trump in these post-election challenges. I look back on this whole experience with deep remorse. For those failures of mine, Your Honor, I have taken responsibility already before the Colorado Bar who censured me, and I now take responsibility before this court and apologize to the people of Georgia. Thank you.
0: Look, folks, I have a couple of thoughts about this, and I'm going to try to give you all sides here. But my first thought when I watched this was that imagine being a lawyer and strolling into court and blaming more senior lawyers for the issues that you have and not fully looking into a case before you took it. Now that's her position. You heard her say it yourself. Okay. And I'm really, really, really trying. I'm not trying to be critical here because I'm going to build to another point here in a second and I'll let you know, but there are some things about this. This just really rubbed me the wrong way. And I want you to know, uh, I want you to know about them. Uh, But how much money did she make from President Trump while she was on staff? Was it six figures while she represented the campaign in 2020, representing him? And she's now saying that she didn't quite fully understand everything as a lawyer, understand the merits of the case before she took it. I have real issues with that, number one. Number two, she crowdsourced fundraising for this from Trump donors and created a legal defense fund in which she was pitching it as, I'm going to stand and fight for what's right, essentially. Push back against the weaponization of the system that's targeting me. And she raised over $210,000 doing that. Over $210,000 doing that. Now, while she was doing all that, she had to have known at some point that she was simply going to offer a plea deal and plead guilty in the hopes for a lesser charge, right? You could hire, look, I, again, I'm just playing devil's advocate here, but you could hire a cheap attorney or even use a public defender to do that. And what Jenna Ellis was, was she was ordered to pay $5,000 in restitution, I think like some some nominal, a couple thousand bucks to the state of Georgia for restitution or something like that. So under $10,000 penalties that she had to pay, she raised to over $210,000. Saying that she was going to stand and fight, knowing that she was going to enter a plea deal. All, okay. So, if if there's any honor here in 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 Jenna, and again, I don't, I might not have all the facts. I think I kind of understand what's going on here based on listening to her statement. Uh, but I, you got to give the money back. It because it damn it seems to me that you raised it under at least questionable circumstances. People gave you money thinking that you were gonna stand and fight and that's not what you did. But if that's, if so, and I'm not judging, if your lawyers thought that it was your best course of action moving forward, and it very well could have been, and I'll explain that here in a second, fine. But it doesn't mean that you get to raise 216,000. What are you gonna do with that money now? I mean, that's a fair question, right? Now, here's the other side of this that I, I want to talk to you all about. Jenna Ellis is being railroaded. We all acknowledge that the system is weaponized in targeting her unjustly. So if we believe these things, shouldn't our ire, well, I disagree with what she's doing, right? I disagree with the way that she raised money, but shouldn't the majority, a vast majority of our ire be directed at the weaponized system of justice. Because here's the deal. Fannie Willis in Georgia, a radical Soros-funded prosecutor, is trying to throw Jenna Ellis, I think who's 38 years old, in jail for a decade. Okay? Now, the jury pool that they're going to use to evaluate her guilt or innocence is going to be drawn from a bunch of communist Democrats, probably something like uh, uh, they're in an area in Fulton County, Georgia, where probably something like 95% Democrat. And these aren't moderate Democrats. These are hardcore Democrats that would chomp at the bit to throw somebody like Jenna Ellis in jail for 10 years. So you put yourself in those shoes. It's this kind of thing where she's up there, you know, tears, pleading guilty to a lesser charge just to avoid jail time. This kind of stuff shouldn't happen in America. It's evil and it's wrong on so many ways. And so, look, I've done everything I can to give you both sides of this argument. You know, I have my feelings and thoughts on the issue, but I I really do see my job as trying to explain things fully to everybody. But not only is this a weaponization of our justice system, here's something that's unbelievably concerning that you all have to understand. This exploits what I believe is a sacred attorney-client privilege. This case and the cases surrounding Jenna Ellis and Donald Trump are going to make it insanely hard, more difficult for people to get proper representation because attorneys aren't going to be able to give honest opinion as if anyone pays attention to law or legal stuff or even watches legal TV shows, then you all know that the law is never settled. It's always something that's constantly evolving. Different lawyers have different opinions on different things and they debate those things in front of trial courts and appellate courts. That's why we have a superior court. That's why we have appeals. So, how does this, these cases, how do they affect all of that? Because, is this going to lead to, you know, attorneys giving different sets of legal advice, whether they're in Republican areas or Democrat areas. I mean, this is we're talking about this is a mess that people haven't war gamed. I mean, the Democrats don't care, right? The Democrats don't give a damn about the weaponization of our system. But if you're a, a moderate Democrat that loves our country, independent, or you're a Republican, these are the questions that should be on the forefront of our minds. Where does this take us? I mean, I'm telling you right now, if you have the means to get the hell out of a Democrat area where you are, you know, you've got a a D.A. Soros funded prosecutor that that is lording over you, get the hell out. Because this kind of stuff is dangerous. And what was once I mean, think about that. What lawyer is ever going to want to represent a defendant charged by a D.A., a Soros funded D.A.? What lawyer's ever going to want to represent a person like that if attorney-client privilege isn't sacred and honored? And it's not anymore. Folks, this is dangerous. Think about when somehow the FBI, when they raided you know, dirty Michael Cohen, who was, a, who was a, a, a pile of garbage for turning on President Trump. He's a liar and obviously a, a pile of garbage, a mouth breather. But how did the FBI, I'm not even talking about Michael Cohen and his personality, How did the FBI raid his office and take all of these legal documents when he was the attorney for Trump? I mean, this is an extraordinarily slippery slope. And if you think it's going to stop with Jenna Ellis, you are wrong because they are coming for you next. But I'm telling you, just beyond all this, just a 30,000 foot stuff, like, beyond the ju- the weaponization of the justice system and beyond discussing and debating how we conduct uh, like discussing and debating rather how we conduct elections in this country is part of being an american and charging somebody for something like that is un- it's it's just it's diametrically opposed to our constitution in the first amendment and look i just give you my experience running in 2020 because look I was on the front lines of all this. I saw it unfold with my own two eyes, along with my staff right there along with me, how all of this worked. And again, running in Western Pennsylvania, one of the biggest swing districts in the entire country, all eyes were on this swing district. President Trump tweeted about it all the time, talked about it all the time. President Trump was on the front end uh, of the fraud that was perpetrated in Western Pennsylvania. There's no doubt it happened. I saw it. I think two months prior to election day in 2020, and I don't want to rehash all this or spend too much time on it, but we were getting calls from people that the Democrats were having these huge campaign style events with donkeys and music and everything else. <laughs> I'm not even joking, like animal donkeys, because that's that's like their, their party mascot. And they just had groups of people bringing you know, stacks of ballots and dumping them into drop boxes. We were getting reports as a campaign running for Congress in real time, that they were doing this in Allegheny County. Shortly after that, Allegheny County sent out over 28,000 mail-in ballots to the wrong address. President Trump put out a tweet about this and said, Sean Parnell is in danger. Uh, Allegheny County sent out all these ballots. I mean, he he, he saw this. He recognized this from the very beginning. I had to spend campaign dollars to go to federal court to, to prevent those ballots from being counted. I went toe-to-toe with Mark Elias, who, again, this is the guy that created the Russia collusion hoax, has $500 million in dark money with which to fund legal defense funds. I, mean, I went toe-to-toe with him. His position was count every ballot. So even ballots that were sent to PA 18 that were meant for PA 17 or PA 18 ballots that were in PA 17, but meant for PA, he was just saying, count all of them, even if they were outside of the congressional district. And oh, by the way, those ballots that would be counted would be from a heavily Democrat area in the city of Pittsburgh, which would benefit a So here's Democrats in federal court advocating for a position to count illegal ballots. And all they said simply said publicly And just banking on low information voters not to have all the facts was simply this, count all the votes, count all the votes, count all the votes. So again, they were advocating in federal court to do something illegal. And if they were willing to advocate in federal court to do something illegal out in the open, what the hell do you think they would do behind closed doors? Of course, they would count every ballot, even if it were illegal. In the weeks after the 2020 election it became clear now i'll tell you just the facts here because this is a math person uh, it, within the first day or two after uh, election day in 2020 there was no honest mathematical path for my opponent to win that race even if because you the amount of mail in ballots is not a speculative thing you know 100% how many are left To count. So we knew the exact number of Democrat ballots, the exact number of independent other, the exact number of Republican ballots left to count, not speculative. And we projected that even if my opponent got 100% of the Democrat votes that he was supposed to get, and there was no crossover, got 60 to even 70% of independent votes, and I got even you know, 90% Republican vote, which I was tracking well over that, we would still have about a 13,000 vote margin of victory any way you cut it, which is why most media outlets called the race immediately because there was not an honest mathematical path. However, the state of Pennsylvania led by then Democrat Governor Tom Wolf with a Democrat supermajority in the Pennsylvania Supreme Court unilaterally changed election law they removed a signature verification they removed the postmark requirement they removed any semblance of a deadline for those ballots to be delivered so so you could feasibly print out a ballot from a hotel room because the electri- the, the database for voters here in this state is electronic you can see who you could see the voter registration database right there print off a ballot throw it in a secrecy envelope drive it to a Dropbox and drop it in and not even need to sign it in order for that vote to be counted. Now that is illegal. And they unilaterally changed the law prior to election day. These things are not up for dispute. These things are facts. They happened, And so about a week after election day, we see this, like my staff and I are watching this vote tally come in of, of what, what votes are left to be counted. And it's super late at night. There was a, a ballot dump of 4,000 votes and another one of 9,000 votes separated by separated by a few hours. What is that number tally? Oh, 13,000 votes. Remember the number margin of victory. Anyway, you cut it. I was going to have about 13,000 votes. Oh yeah. Isn't that interesting? The exact number in two different ballot dumps late at night, like a week after election day. Hmm. Interesting. Opponent scampers out to the podium, declares victory, and the rest is history. We challenged it. We went to the, we challenged the election at the Commonwealth Court, went all the way up to the Pennsylvania Supreme Court. They dismissed my case with prejudice. We appealed to the Supreme Court. They didn't take it up on certiori. So my point is, like these things happen. We have to be able to talk about the election. And the fact that people are being charged for this is reprehensible on so many different levels that I already laid out to you, but it's primarily, we have to make sure that this kind of stuff never happens again. Because stolen stolen elections have consequences. Look at what's going on in Israel right now. Hamas attacked Israel, massacred civilians because they sense Biden is weak. Russia invaded Ukraine because they sense Biden is weak. China will undoubtedly, within the next year, again, making bets today, but within the next year, they'll undoubtedly invade Taiwan because they believe Biden is weak. This economic alliance, these bri- the BRICS, where they're trying to depose global U.S. dollar dominance would not happen under President Trump. They're doing this. These nations are doing this because they believe Joe Biden is weak. All our enemies are on the move right now. Stolen elections have consequences. So we're talking about Israel here for a second. There's like this incredible a couple of videos I want you to watch here uh, of Masab Hassan. Now Masab Hassan Youssef is the son of an Hamas founding member. He was on CNN with Jake Tapper, or I'm sorry, I should say Monica Lewinsky's boyfriend, uh, Jake Tapper, and he. Some of the things that he was saying was was particularly. I thought was was pretty cool, pretty amazing for CNN, especially on CNN. And the fact that this guy is the son of the founder of Hamas is also kind of amazing. I just want to hear I I want you to hear how he's talking about this, this. Hamas attack on Israel, what it means for America, because as I'm what I'm building to here is that the Biden administration, 100% is completely confirmed beyond the shadow of a doubt here that the Biden administration slow walked the IDF invasion, which which 100% is going to allow Hamas to survive this. And I'll get to that in a second. But go ahead and roll this first video of uh, Masab Youssef. Were you surprised
2: at the failure of Israeli intelligence on October 7th? Uh, listen, there was a failure, but this is not the time to blame anybody. There, there, uh, there is corruption, there is failure, uh, there is lack of leadership, but this is not the time now to blame anybody. This is the time to get unified You know, the United States need to give Israel the necessary cover to uproot Hamas. You know, Israel is fighting on behalf of America. Israel is fighting on behalf of the Palestinian people. Israel now is fighting on behalf of the free world. This is not a political propaganda. I, uh, as an ex-Hamas, Uh, member, the son of the founder of Hamas organization. And today, as an American citizen, I ask the president of the United States to give Israel the necessary cover, the necessary supply, whatever it takes to approve Hamas. Otherwise, the next war is going to be deadlier.
0: What have I been saying for the last week? If we do not let and give Israel the time and the space to not just defend itself, but to eradicate and destroy Hamas, the cycle of violence that they perpetrate will continue. And the son of the founder of Hamas is now saying the exact same thing and on CNN with Monica Lewinsky's boyfriend, but he didn't stop there. Check out this next video uh, of him in this interview with uh, Monica Lewinsky's boyfriend. Go ahead and roll the tape. I know that you think that Hamas is the enemy of not just Israel, but the Palestinian people. Strategically, do you think it is wise for the Israeli Defense Forces to to stage a ground incursion into Gaza to uproot Hamas? Do you think that's a smart thing to do?
2: Well, you know, uh, now it's a war time, unfortunately. And this war, uh, Israel did not start. Hamas started this war, and Hamas, in fact, uh, in this equation, uh, blood for money, they start a war every uh, few years, whenever they want money, uh, you know, they uh, shed uh, children's blood. Uh, this is their game, and this has to stop. This has to come to an end, and unfortunately, the price is not going to be cheap. Uh, in fact, I feel very sorry for Israel that they have to go into Gaza where there are booby traps all over the place and tunnels all over the place. I don't know how many Israeli soldiers have to die in order to uh, uh, destroy uh, Hamas. This is the most complicated mission a modern army uh, uh, has in our, uh, in our modern day. Now, what I suggest you know, uh, to the Israelis that they wait They take their time. They collect intelligence. And what I need from the United States to give enough support, in fact, I would like to see the Navy SEALs taking part in this. I know this sounds horrible, but again, I speak as a taxpayer, as an American today, that we need to be unified. We need to give Israel the support. We need to free Palestinians and free Gaza from Hamas ruling.
0: I agree with almost everything he said, with the exception of sending Navy SEALs in to do the work of the IDF. I do not support American boots on the ground, but I think we have to do everything we can, and if necessary, I mean, hell, hell, listen, the aid, the military aid to Israel has already been appropriated. It was appropriated before Hamas attacked Israel, so this is this is a a fundamentally different conflict than Ukraine. But I agree with everything he said. Do you notice that he said that as the 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 fact that the IDF is going to have to go into Gaza now, with and it's going to be dangerous because Hamas has booby-trapped everything now. Do you want to know why that is? It's because the Biden administration deliberately slow-walked the IDF's invasion of Gaza. I have been saying this for a week. Since 24 hours after the attack, I told you that this was going to happen. And now we have confirmation. If we have the image from the Associated Press article, uh, could we go ahead and throw it up there? Um, it's an AP confirmation that Biden delayed the invasion. Do we Have we got it? I don't know if we do, Um, but it basically says that the Biden administration, yeah, there we go, that the Biden administration, circled there in red, because I know sometimes this is tough to see, but it says that the Biden administration pressured Israel to not invade Hamas so that they could work to get hostages out. Now, think about this for a second and really put your strategist hat on here. Imagine you are a member of a SWAT team and you are engaging in a negotiation with a bank robber, what the Biden administration is doing is like this. It's like a SWAT team saying to a bank robber, hey, please send out your hostages, because we don't want there to be, we 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 want to make sure that they're out of there before we attack you. I- I'm sorry, but there's that's not a strategy. Now, obviously, we want to get as many hostages out of there as, as humanly possible. But it's not going to happen. There's not. There's no end game there. Here's here, from a tactical standpoint. But here's what the Biden administration ultimately wants. Okay, the Biden administration wants to slow walk any invasion there, so as to make Israel's invasion of Gaza tactically untenable. And there's a there's a, a reason for this. And I would not be surprised, by the way, behind the scenes diplomatically, behind the curtain. If the Biden administration was engaging with Moss, because remember, the Biden administration is giving them hundreds of millions of dollars of your taxpayer money. No doubt in my mind that the Biden administration is saying, "Would well, could you please just hold off on your attacks? Could you please just stop? This is bad for us politically. And then, look, I mean, God forbid, if you keep attacking and Trump gets elected, he's going to cut off your aid. We're giving you aid, we're giving you military aid. So just please stop. I'm telling you, it wouldn't surprise me if Biden did this. Do you want to know why? Because he sort of did the same thing with the Strategic Reserve or Petroleum Reserve. He did everything that he could to release as many barrels as need be from our Strategic Petroleum Reserve, by the way, which is meant for wartime. And put, he actually puts us in danger when you diminish that. He, he diminished it to the point, that I think, the lowest level since like 1980 or something like that. But the only reason he did that was to drive the cost of gasoline down nationwide to make it more favorable conditions for Democrats in the 2022 election. So the, I'm telling you, folks, this, this kind of diplomatic wheeling and dealing if you're a democrat is certainly not beyond the pale for them they would definitely they would be hell john Kerry did it when trump was in office he was saying to iranian leaders that hey look if once once we get back in office you know democrat take back the white house we'll absolutely withdraw from the iran nuclear deal which will be or we'll actually i'm sorry we'll actually re-enter the iran nuclear deal which is good for you county they do this stuff all the time but here's the political argument for why biden is slow walking an election but before i get to that political argument uh oh, seriously this is really going to expose the biden administration i want to talk to you about american alternative assets and this stuff is so important especially with global conflicts on the horizon everywhere um, bidenomics isn't working the u.s dollars losing value your hard-earned uh savings are at risk you can now act, and I'm holding this, of course, in my gunpowder-stained fingers, which is, of course, a play on, on the great Rush Limbaugh. It says his nicotine-stained fingers. And by the way, if you have better suggestions, let me know in the chat because I'll adopt them if they work. Um, You can act now before it's too late with one straightforward entirely legal tax loophole. Call my friends at American Alternative Assets for a free wealth protection guide. Learn how to safeguard your wealth from a failing dollar in volatile markets with gold and silver IRAs, dial 833, the number 2 USA Gold. That's 833-287-2465. Or visit protectfrombiden.com because Joe Biden sucks and we all need protection from him. Um, this invaluable guide will outline the precise steps you need to take to immediately transfer your IRA or 401k into precious metals, all without any tax consequences. So call 833, the number 2 USA Gold. That's 833 833- or visit protectfrombiden.com because Joe Biden just sucks. Okay, so why is Biden demonstrating a stunning lack of... Of ability to speak with any semblance of moral clarity on this issue. Why is he delaying this invasion? There's a political reason for it. But before I before I get into the insider baseball there, watch this video of uh, KJP, Karine Jean-Pierre, who, by the way, is one of the worst White House press secretaries in the history of our country. Mouth breather extraordinaire, 100 um, percent a diversity hire, by the way, uh, not skilled at her job. But listen to this question in the White House press room that that was asked of her yesterday. Very clear question. Couldn't it couldn't be easier for a White House press secretary to handle this. But listen to KJP's response. It's mind blowing. Check this out
1: his level of concern right now about
3: the potential rise of anti-Semitism in light of everything that's going on in Israel? So a couple of things. Um, look, um, uh, we have not seen uh, any credible uh, threats. I know there's been always questions about uh, credible threats, uh, and so I uh, just want to make sure that that's out there. But look, uh, Muslim and those perceived uh, to be Muslim have endured a disproportionate uh, number of hate-fueled attacks, and, and certainly President Biden understands that many of our Muslim Arab Arab Americans and palestinian American loved ones and neighbors are worried about the hate being directed at their communities and that is something you heard the president speak to in his uh, in his address uh, just last last Thursday and so uh, one of the things that the president has done is directed his team uh, homeland security team to prioritize prevention uh, and disruption of any emerging threats that could harm the Jewish the Muslim and uh, Arab Americans or, or any other communities and that is something that the president the president has sought to do, and, and since day one, as you know, the president ran on on um, on you know bringing commun- protecting communities, obviously, but bringing people together, the soul uh, uh, protecting the soul of the nation, uh, and so um, that is something that the president takes very very seriously. Uh, and um, you know we're going to continue to denounce any sort of hate uh, towards any American here, uh, and so that's what we're going to continue to be steadfast on. Again, he has he has a uh, uh, advised, directed his Homeland Security uh, team to
0: make sure that they're on top of this. I mean, so this is, this is absolutely disgusting because there have been hundreds of anti-Semitic rallies and protests all around this country in cities and on college campuses, numbering in the thousands of people. I'm probably tens of thousands of people all around this country. I'm not aware of one single anti-Muslim protest, not a single one. And moreover, They're so dedicated to this Islamophobia argument, and and they completely – she completely dismisses anti-Semitism, by the way. I mean, for real. It was a very, very simple question. Are you concerned about the rise of anti-Semitism in America? Simple answer, yes. Why do you have to fumble with the notebook? Why do you even have to read these notes? I mean, this is what I say about Democrats all the time. It would be the easiest thing in the world to be a Democrat because the media never ask you tough questions, even a basic yes or no question here. Are you concerned about the rise of anti-Semitism in America? Yes, especially given all the anti-Semitic rallies and, and, and I've seen spring up all around the country in major cities and in college campuses. It's very, very concerning. She could have said that, but she didn't. And I'm telling you, this kind of language from the highest levels in our country, it actually insulates the the terrorists. It's language that allows people to generate sympathy for terrorist organizations like Hamas. It's completely inexcusable, even more so in the wake of this massacre of Israeli civilians. It's disgusting. It should be rejected. But since she made those statements. She since come out and said this. And this is a direct quote. Uh, to be clear, the president and our team are very concerned about a rise in anti-Semitism, especially after the horrific Hamas terrorist attack in Israel. OK, well, you could have just said that when you were asked. Right. And again, this is how you know the Democrats are worried about something because their allies in the media immediately jump to their defense. And of course, ally in the media, Politico. Right out with a headline. Shortly after, she says this: White House press secretary says she misheard question on anti-Semitism during the briefing. I played you the tape. You heard it directly. The room was completely quiet. You could hear plain as day the question by the journalist. And it says right here uh, from from uh, from Politico: White House press secretary KJP misheard a question. Like not not alleges, and not says she misheard a question. Just says definitively misheard a question about concern over the rise of anti-Semitism amid the ongoing war between Israel and Hamas during a press briefing, she told Politico on Tuesday. I did mishear the question, KJP said in a statement, as I foot stomped many times from the podium and on air. Anti-Semitism is an abomination. And she goes on. Well, of course, she didn't say that in the moment. And the fact that she didn't say that speaks volumes. But again, so I like there's a political reason for all of this hedging folks. it's it could not be more clear and that's because the reason why the Biden administration is slow walking the Israel invasion into Gaza, the reason why the Biden administration is afraid to condemn anti-Semitism here in America with a with a clear and definitive words, the reason why they're not doing that is because Joe Biden needs the Hamas sympathizers, free Palestinian. They, he needs their votes to win. And oh, by the way, he needs to, he weeds their votes, the terrorist sympathizer vote, along with normal people. And I'm telling you, folks, in this instance, you can't have it both ways. And so this is the reason for the lack of moral clarity. And look, if you don't believe me, if you don't believe me, I mean, go look up this tweet from Guy Benson. I've got this image up there of a poll. I, we don't even need it. We can show it if we have. If we don't, it's OK. I'll just read you what Guy Benson said on Twitter. Now, X, go look it up for yourself. But he says, I just keep staring at these numbers. He's referring to a poll with, with pie graphs. A slim majority of 18 to 24 year old 18 to 24 year old Americans say Hamas slaughtering civilians can be justified by the grievance of Palestinians. Let me read that again. 18 to 24 year old Americans say that Hamas slaughtering civilians can be justified by the grievance of Palestinians. Then 62%, 62% of the exact same group agree the massacre was quote genocidal genocidal but justified folks these are 18 to 24 year old voters that biden needs to win their brains are completely broken they can't distinguish between good and evil but because biden needs their votes he can't actually speak about this issue with any moral clarity whatsoever and this res- this This explains the, 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 the weak rhetoric from the white house on this just does folks. And so look, we got seven minutes left in the show. And I got to get to this. Um, the juxtaposition between Israel and Ukraine, because I told you that I wanted to get to this yesterday, but I didn't quite get there. Um, still learning the ropes of this, of the new show here, but The juxtaposition between Trump and Mitch McConnell, again, both Republicans, uh, but it just could not be more clear in these two these next two videos I'm going to show you. Kind of unbelievable. uh, But there's Mitch McConnell, uh, who is who is, again, the Senate minority leader uh, in a Republican Senate majority leader in the U.S. Senate, uh, was out on the Sunday shows doing the rounds talking about Ukraine. In Israel, I mean, obviously, they're going to lump the the spending bills and the aid packages on Ukraine and Israel together. Joe Biden said that during his national address. I'm vehemently opposed to this. The two conflicts are different. They should be single subject spending. They should be single subject bills so we can evaluate the aid patch packages of each. So they're. I mean, seriously, I mean, the prudent thing to do, because these are two very, very different conflicts, would be to do it that way. And if people in Washington had any ounce of common sense, they 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 would. The the reality is, is that this is another thing, just another political argument on this topic, the differences between Israel and Ukraine. But Israel has broad bipartisan support. Supporting Israel's war against Hamas has broad bipartisan support. Ukraine does not. So that's why they're lumping these bills together, because Republicans just simply wouldn't vote, especially Republicans in the U.S. House of Representatives aren't going to vote to fund Ukraine in perpetuity, nor should they. But watch McConnell how he talks about his view on foreign policy and the U.S. making war by proxy. It's concerning as hell. Check this out. It is
4: all interconnected.
1: And you've said that you believe there is enough oversight of aid to Ukraine. Why hasn't that persuaded some members of the, of the Republican caucus?
4: If you look at the Ukraine assistance, let's, let's talk about where the money's really going. A significant portion of it's being spent in the United States in 38 different states replacing the weapons that we sent to Ukraine with more modern weapons. So we're rebuilding our industrial base. That's what President Biden's seeking to do. It's it's correct. No Americans are getting killed in Ukraine. We're re- rebuilding our industrial base. Uh, the Ukrainians are destroying the army of one of our biggest rivals. I have a hard time finding anything wrong with that. Mm-hmm. I think it's wonderful that they're defending themselves and also the notion that the europeans are not doing enough they've done almost 90 billion dollars they're housing a bunch of refugees who escaped Mm -hmm. Uh, i think that our nato allies in europe have done quite a lot
1: you sound like you have a lot in common with president biden in his worldview, based on what
4: you just laid out well, not on the domestic side, but on, on this issue that we were discussing today, we're generally in the same place. I mean, look, folks, I could not disagree with him
0: more. And Stan Salty in the comments said, well, Sean, the reason why Joe Biden can't speak with moral clarity is because he never had a moral clarity. He never had morals in the first place. And you are right. Uh, you're 100 percent right there. But I reject the notion that we must conduct proxy wars by arming allies to make and create war worldwide to rebuild our industrial base. So Lockheed Martin and Raytheon and the military industrial complex gets rich off of making war in which innocent people die. And look, I'm, I'm a combat veteran. If you're watching from Red Voice Media, you, like, maybe you're new, maybe you don't know me, but I don't like the idea of people dying, which is why in conflict under i totally understand that it that it happens but i wish to avoid these things at all costs if need be this is why i appreciate president trump who was the greatest peacetime president of my lifetime when he was asked about the war in ukraine and tried to he was Caitlin Collins was trying to trap him when he was doing that CNN town hall about, you know, who do you favor, Putin or do you favor Ukraine? Who do you want to win this war? As if if Trump was going to say Putin or something like that, so they can continue with, you know, the third Russia hoax. But Trump just simply said, I want people to stop dying. And I think that's the right perspective of any leader. And in fact, Trump just said something like this in New Hampshire. uh, Watch President Trump Com- he commits on the campaign trail to keeping us out of World War III, folks, and he's right on this issue. Go ahead and check it out.
4: You got Every it? American yeah, we got it.
0: Who's terrified that Crooked Joe's weakness will cause catastrophic global conflict? <laughs> Excuse me, it already is. <laughs> I make this promise to you as president, I will restore peace through strength and we will prevent, we will stop World War III. We will not have World War III. I mean, it's hard to dislike that guy. And I completely agree. And for the detractors out there that dislike President Trump. He had the Abraham Accords. Russia didn't invade Ukraine under Trump. China wasn't threatening to invade Taiwan under Trump. Iran wasn't saber. In fact, Trump put out there, "If you mess with us, we're going to kill you." Trump killed Kasim Soleimani. There was no war. There's peace all around the world because of President Trump. But when I promised to talk to you about the differences between Ukraine, the tactical differences between Ukraine and Israel, you know, I look at J.D. Vance and the things that he's doing in the U.S. Senate. And J.D. Vance is a friend of mine. He's from a neighboring state. Uh, uh, of Ohio really like this guy a lot. Uh, but he echoes my sentiments on this. And I've been talking about this for some time now, but I'm just going to read you the five key takeaways and the differences between Ukraine and, and in Israel and why it's critically important that aid packages for each of these countries be separate so that the American people could see what the hell we're doing. And to Mitch McConnell, uh, when we talk about oversight of Ukraine funding, maybe just maybe, and I'm just thinking out loud here that the American people don't want us paying you know the pension funds of ukrainian bureaucrats who then travel to london and places all over europe and buy mansions maybe maybe we're just like that us taxpayers shouldn't be footing that bill just just a thought though five key takeaways this is from jd vance again israeli operations will help secure the gaza strip the, the ukraine war has jeopardized the european security architecture and threatens global disorder that could, that is 100% true the war in ukraine is reshaping europe it just is everybody Every surrounding country is affected. Um, our political and military relationship with Israel is qualitatively different from our relationship with Ukraine. Yeah, of course, Israel is one of our oldest allies. Our alliance with them is very, very well defined, and they simply want to defend their very existence from countries who surround them, who all hate them and want to wipe them off the face of the planet. Very, it's very common sense stuff, right, folks? Israel... Has an achievable objective. Ukraine does not. Again, hundred percent correct. Ukraine does not have a snowball's chance in hell of defeating Russia. In fact, their summer, uh, their summer offensive was a disaster. Tens of thousands of Ukrainians were killed. Hundreds of thousands of Ukrainians were injured. Uh, it just doesn't have any hope for success. Um, Israel has a qualitatively different defense capability than Ukraine. Again, Israel is not asking for our Americans to be on the ground, put it, put them in harm's way. They're not asking for it. They don't want it. They can handle these issues on their own. And last but not least, the United States does not have a plan in Ukraine, but we do have a plan in Israel. The plan in Israel is to let, well, I mean, not if Biden has his way, but the plan in Israel, of course, if you're approaching the issue with common sense, is to let Israel attack Hamas. Folks, the world is a far more dangerous place with Joe Biden at the helm. As we roll into 2024, the stakes could not be higher. And as I mentioned earlier in the show, we'll leave some stuff on the cutting room floor, and I'll get to it tomorrow because we're approaching the end of the hour. But the fact of the matter is, is that everything is on the line in 24. And as I mentioned earlier in the show, I am deathly afraid of the Biden administration es- escalating conflicts in Ukraine and in the Middle East. So that it helps them in an election year, distracts from the disaster that is this domestic agenda. What's going to happen? This is what these politicians do. I mean, after September 11, General Wesley Clark said that they had a plan immediately within 11 days of September 11th to invade seven different Middle East countries. 2001, it was Afghanistan. A couple years later, it was Iraq. And then it was Libya. And then it was Syria. and, And then eventually ending with Iran. We never got to that point. But every step of the way, the American media rolled out more propaganda to support these wars. Don't think that our political leaders aren't capable of these lies. They are. And it will be your sons and daughters who deploy to support these wars that find themselves in harm's way. So don't sit on the sidelines. Be a freaking ambassador for freedom in this country. And so as we end this show... Those of y'all who made it through the full hour, please make sure, please just take a couple of seconds and like this video because Rumble notices that stuff. It helps the show a lot. It helps us grow. Um, Subscribe to Battleground Live. It's critically important. It is and will always be free. You all have helping us. They're helping us raise money to build a better studio. We just cracked $1,000 yesterday. Thank you. The first thing that we get is going to be a new camera to bring us a better quality show. I'm going to loop you all in on that as we go about it. If you're watching from Red Voice Media, take a couple of seconds and subscribe to Battleground Live. If you're in Parnell's platoon watching on my Rumble page, go over to Red Voice Media and subscribe to them, too. These shirts, Never Quit, Never Surrender, they're available at officialseanparnell.com as part of a new company that I rolled out called the Battleground Apparel Company. It's a company for American patriots who believe this nation to be exceptional. And if you're watching this show, 100%, you're one of those people. So thank you all for watching. Up next, if you, if you go over, if you're watching on my page, go over to Red Voice Media as Drew Burquist? He's got a three-hour show right after mine. He's an awesome guy. Uh, but up next is him. Uh, thank you all for watching. As always, God bless you all. See you tomorrow at 5 o'clock. And God bless this amazing country that we call home. Take care.